Please turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, starting from verse 13. Now you can find sermon notes at live.eechk.org. So just for those of us who are joining for the first time, a few weeks ago, uh, we started a sermon series called CORE. And what we're doing is we're looking at the church's mission and the church's values. So we just spent three weeks looking at different aspects of the church's uh, mission statement in detail. And our church mission is to make disciples of Jesus, nurture them to maturity, and to send them out to make disciples in diverse contexts in Hong Kong and beyond. That's our mission. We spent three weeks talking about it. Our values are the things that we believe are the most important to carry out this mission. So we have five values as a church, and if we miss any of these values, we won't be able to carry out the mission that God has called us to do. So we're going to look at our first core value today, and that is the Bible preached truthfully and obeyed. The Bible preached truthfully and obeyed. So one crucial belief of Christianity is that the Bible is God's word to humanity. So the words in the Bible are God's words. Because they're from God, we need to understand it and obey it as our ultimate authority in life. You know, Jesus himself believed and taught this. So to be Jesus' disciples, we have to do the same. To observe everything that Jesus commanded us to obey and to teach others is, is to believe and to do all of what the Bible says. Now, one of the primary ways that God has chosen to teach and mature Christians is through the preaching of the Bible and the power of the Holy Spirit. So I just said a lot there, a lot of you know, theological, important theological statements or beliefs about uh, Christianity. I actually preached two whole sermons on those things uh, a couple months back, so I'm not going to elaborate in detail here. So, so if you missed those or if you want a refresher, uh, you can find them on the EEC website under Marks of a Healthy Church series. What we're going to do today is to continue to you know, explore this core value. So we've touched on different aspects in the past. We're going to continue to explore different aspects. And we're going to look at how this core value should change our life and practice of faith. Now, before we do that, I know that some of us are here this morning. Uh, you know, we're not Christians, but we're exploring the faith. And you're probably wondering, you know what, Pastor Evangel or Evangel, you're always talking about the Bible and how we have to listen to the Bible. And then you always quote the Bible to tell me that I need to listen to the Bible. <laughs> that doesn't really make sense. You know, how can I trust that the Bible is, is God's authority? Well, well, there are a couple of reasons. So first, the Bible has many pro prophecies that have been fulfilled throughout many, many centuries. It's written by many different authors across these 16 centuries that don't contradict one another and all say the same things about God. And of course, there are many other reasons that I could give, but the main reason that we believe the Bible is our authority is because that's what the Bible says about itself. And you might be like, wait, that doesn't make sense. You're contradicting yourself. You can't say that, hey, the Bible says that it's the authority, so I got to follow that authority. Well, with anything in life, any religion, any philosophy, any ideology that claims 
to have authority that, that claims to be the truth, if it doesn't point to itself, then it actually contradicts itself. So if I tell you, hey, I'm the authority, listen to what I have to say, uh, because Clement told me to, well, that wouldn't make sense because all of a sudden I'm saying Clement told, is telling you to listen to me. Well, the ultimate authority in this case isn't me, it's, it's Clement. <clears throat> when, you, when you come to science, science, the ultimate authority is human experience and understanding. So if we as people can't see it or experience it, experience it then it doesn't count because our experiences are the ultimate authority. So the question you have to ask then is, well, who, who am I going to trust as my ultimate authority? Who, who's more trustworthy? You know, humans? I think over the past year, we've seen you know, people in authority, people in places of science tell us many things about the coronavirus, and they had to go back and be like, wait, we were wrong, sorry. I think it's very clear that us as human beings, we're, we're flawed, we're imperfect, we can't trust ourselves as our own authority. We have to look to somewhere else. And so... If you're not a, a Christian, I challenge you to look at the Bible, and I'm, I'll be happy to talk more about that after the service. But today we're going to look at the Bible as those who are convicted that this is our ultimate authority. So I'm going to be reading from 1 Peter chapter 1, starting from verse 13. Follow, follow along as I read. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So I thought I would start today by asking, what kind of food have you been craving for lately? What kind of food have you been craving for lately? Uh, when, when my wife Evelyn was pregnant, you know, there was one night about you know, 1 a.m. 
She woke me up and she's like, I need oranges right now. Uh, and I'm thankful that this was the only thing she craved for. And it didn't happen too often because I had some, you know, very frightening stories about food cravings from other people. You know, husbands going out at early hours of the morning, you know, trying to find pickles and ice cream. You know, taxi ar taxiing around different supermarkets to find kimchi noodles. You know, getting up at 3 a.m. to cook fried rice for their wife. Now, of course, you don't have to be pregnant to crave uh, food. Uh, you know, for me, after eating Chinese food for a whole month, uh, you know, eating like gurung chou and all this Chinese stuff for pregnancy, like I really just craved a good hamburger. <laughs> you know, maybe after a couple uh, nights of, of working late, eating out away from home, you develop a craving for a good home-cooked meal. Chapter 2, verse 2 of our Bible passage commands all believers to long for pure spiritual milk. You know, in other words, strongly and persistently desire, crave this pure spiritual milk. You know, this desire is to be so strong that it resembles a baby longing for milk. When my baby boy, Emery, when he's hungry, you know, nothing but milk can stop his cries. You know, he starts turning his head like a ravenous animal like this. You know, his head starts to like look around rapidly for food. And like he'll suck on anything that you throw into his mouth. You know, th this, this type of Intense longing is what all believers are to have. But this type of longing we have isn't you know, a hunger for, for physical food. It's a hunger for, for pure spiritual milk. What's this pure spiritual milk? It's what the passage has been talking about in verses 23 to 25. It's the word of God. The reason we're told why Christians are to long for the Word of God is so that they can grow up into salvation. Now, last week we talked about the importance of Christian maturity. The, the passage today reinforces this. You know, just like a seed that's planted has to grow up, has to mature, or will automatically mature if it's alive, you know, salvation is something that all believers must grow up into. You know, all believers must continually mature in faith. You know, a baby that never grows is not, not, not alive. A believer that never matures in faith is spiritually dead. Saving faith grows. Saving faith grows, to put it simply. And just like a baby needs to feed on milk to grow physically... God's word is the food required for believers to grow in faith. But unlike an infant whose longing for milk will stop once they grow up, a believer's intense longing for God's word should never stop. No matter how mature a Christian becomes, they need to continue to long for God's word. And this brings us to the main point for this morning. Long for God's word, it's the hope for lasting salvation in a perishing world. Long for God's word, it's the hope for lasting salvation in a perishing world. Chapter 1, verses 17 
17 to 18, tells us that our time on earth is one of exile. We don't belong here. We're outcasts. And we live as exiles in a world of futility, a world living in futile ways. Futile basically means empty, meaningless, purposeless. And verse 24 tells us why it's futile. All flesh is grass and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. All of human life in our physical bodies of, of flesh is just like grass. It's weak, it's frail, it's finite. You know, it quickly dies and it's replaced by new grass. L- like a flower that blooms but soon falls, so all of our glory. Well, wh- what's glory? Glory is everything that makes us beautiful and great in different ways. You know, our various talents our intelligence, our our creativity, our energy, our ambitions, our humor, our wit, whatever it is, it it shines, it comes up for just a brief moment, and then it's gone. Let me quiz you on uh, how much you're familiar with popular culture. Do the names uh, Michelle Kwan or Elvis Stoiko ring any bells? Maybe not. Okay. How about uh, Michael Jordan? Michael Jordan? Larry Bird? Bob Bob Dylan? Backstreet Boys? Twins? Twins? Ah, I feel no twins. (laughs) So these are people who who were famous, you know, in the different areas of sports or music. They broke various world records. They played great games, performed spectacular shows. You know, some of you might have been there to enjoy their moments of fame. But sooner or later, that they hit their prime, they got old, that they couldn't perform the way they used to anymore, and a new generation replaces them. That's more famous. You know, Blackpink. Oh, like everyone's laughing. Everyone knows Blackpink, right? Oh, Kawhi Leonard. Eh? All flesh is grass. And all its glory like the flowers of grass. You know, in a couple of days, the whole world will be paying attention to the results of the American election. And I know many of us have been staying updated with the presidential debates. You know, each side, they're fighting to, to get the last word in. You know, they're trying to discredit the other party, prove that their reasoning and platform is superior It's a constant back and forth of who said what, who can convince the most people of their credibility and backing. The results of the election have already been determined by God. And for a moment, it's going to seem like whoever wins got the last word in. But it's not going to be for long. All flesh is grass that quickly withers. Everything is fading away. The moment we start to live, the countdown for our death has already begun. The only one who truly gets the last word is God. When everything's gone, when the dazzling talents of the world burn out, when the strength of those in power wane, when the plans of great nations come to an end, 
Only what God has said will matter. Only the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is good news for you and for me. This is good news for you and for me because God has said that he's going to comfort his people. He's going to pardon their sin. He's going to bring them back from exile to their true home. He's going to free them from captivity in the midst of powerful nations. He's going to personally come down to make a way for people, for all people, to see his glory. And no person in power, no natural disaster, no circumstance in the world, no matter how complex, can stand against God's promise of salvation in his word. Verse 24 of our passage is a direct quotation from the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 40. And this was written hundreds of years before in the Old Testament. And the words of the prophet Isaiah was written for people during a time when they were living as captives by some of the most powerful nations in human history. You know, the Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire. And it's here that God first said to his people, I'm coming to save you, to forgive you, to reveal my glory to you. All flesh is grass, but my word will stand forever. In other words, God is saying, don't look at the circumstances currently around you to determine what the ultimate outcome will be. Now, those things are perishing. They're not going to be around much longer. Trust and hope in my word. It is eternal. And here we are, you know, looking a couple thousand years back, and we can see just a bit more clearly how true this is. You know, many other great nations have come and gone, the Greeks, the Romans. But what God has said he would do to save his people has continued on generation after generation, nation after nation that has risen and fallen. You know, the coming of John the Baptist, of Jesus, the sending of the Holy Spirit. You know, there's more to the good news of the gospel that's, that's still to come, but this is what we are to hope in even now, thousands of years later. No other nation or people in power can help us. They're just pieces of grass that are going to wither. Long for God's word. It's the hope for lasting salvation in a perishing world. Now, our passage in 1 Peter teaches a couple more reasons why we need to long for God's word and why it's the hope for salvation in the world. We're going to look at those things, uh, but before that, it would probably be helpful to know more clearly what does word of God mean in this passage? To put it simply, the word of God here refers to both God's recorded writings in the Bible and also to the correct teaching and proclamation of what the Bible says. So if you look at verse 25, it says the word, this is the word that was preached to you, but right before that, that same word is quoted 
in written form. So we're to long for God's word in both its preaching and teaching and also in the written words of the Bible. This is the pure spiritual milk. So with that, we're going to look at several aspects of God's word that bring hope for salvation. And the first is God's word is a living power that generates eternal life. Verse 23 tells us the word is living and abiding. It's power that is active, alive, at work. What is it actively doing? It is at work to bring new life. God's word supernaturally communicates and converts. You know, God's word is also abiding. It stays. You, you plant a seed in the ground under the right conditions, the heat, the soil, the water. It starts this process that activates it, that makes it alive, and it grows into a tree. But once it's full grown, that process stops. Once God's word activates, its work to bring new life never stops. It abides, it stays, it endures and continues on forever and ever and ever in a person's life. God's word creates new life that is imperishable, everlasting, permanent. Second, God's word produces a life of pure and lasting love. Now in verse 22, something has happened to believers, something so great that it allows them to love each other sincerely and earnestly from a pure heart. What's happened to these believers is that they've been born again. One key characteristic of eternal life is love that lasts. But more than that, it is a love that comes from a pure heart. We live in a world where the word love means very little to many people. You know, at different levels, in, in different ways, our relationships with other people are, are flawed and imperfect. Many relationships that, that we have don't last. They run into conflict. Our, our motivations for relating to each other are, aren't, aren't pure. You know, they are inherently self-seeking in different ways. But the Word of God brings hope for true and lasting love through the new life that it brings. Those with this new life have the ability to develop the capacity to love continually from a pure heart with a motivation that's solely for another person's good and for God's glory. It's important to keep in mind that this doesn't happen automatically because as we've seen in other parts of the Bible, you know, believers can be quite selfish. But the new life from God's word makes this kind of love possible. And so the believers in this passage are commanded to do and to develop what they now have the ability to do by being born with new life. In fact, a believer's ability to love is tied with their longing and growth in God's word, tied with their growth in this new life. 
you, you can't grow in God's word without growing in love. You know, one naturally affects the other. So when you look at chapter 2, verse 1, you know, the believers are commanded to put away everything that's contrary to love, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, slander, and at the same time to long for God's word. When you look at community of Christians, many times that's called a church, many times you will observe the same type of imperfect, flawed love that you see everywhere else. At the same time, however, there is no other place in the world where you can find a pure and lasting love except communities of Christians born again by the word of God as they grow and mature. A couple years ago, a team of Korean missionaries, medical missionaries, they went to do some work in the Middle East. And as they were working in these dangerous parts of the Middle East, they got captured by a terrorist group. And all of them are you know, huddled up in a cave. And a terrorist group just wants to prove a point, just wants to get some money from the Korean government. So they say, okay, all of you guys can go, but one of you has to die. You guys can decide who dies. So here's this group of believers. And immediately one believer goes, you know what? I'm the oldest. I've lived my life. I'm ready to die. Let me die. But then another believer goes, no, no, I'm the leader. You're, you're older, but I'm the leader, so I should lay down my life and die. And so here begins the conversation of who wants to die for everyone else. Greater love has no one than this, that they lay down their life for another in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. There is no other place in the world you can find a true and lasting love except in Christian community. So we're to long for God's word. It's the hope of lasting salvation in the perishing world. It brings this hope of eternal life. It brings this hope of a pure and lasting love. I, I want us to think a little bit more deeply how, how significant and incredible this truth is. We live in a world that has developed in some amazing ways. You know, we're the most educated people to have ever walked the face of the earth. We've developed systems to thoroughly educate children from the time that they're young until they're full grown. And even after that, you can continue learning and learning and learning and learning. We live in a society that can help people in, in very comprehensive ways. You know, a, a physiotherapist, after several months of, of hard work, can help a victim of a severe car accident fully recover function of their body. You know, a, a psychologist, exhausting all of their emotional energy for years and years, can help patients return to normal life after battling with anxiety and depression. You know, a, a motivational speaker, you know, after going through many life challenges, you can inspire new meaning and life direction for many people who have lost it. Yet for all of our decades of education, for all of our knowledge about the world and life, it has failed to teach us how to love. 
For all their effort, a psychologist cannot heal the deepest wounds and hurts in life. For all of their life experience and teaching, a motivational speaker cannot produce lasting meaning and hope. For all the advances of our healthcare system, it cannot bring about immortality. Yet through a simple Bible study, by reading the Bible and hearing it preached, the living and enduring Word of God can powerfully and decisively create a new and lasting life of love in people's hearts. No other teaching in the world, whether it's from Buddha, Gandhi, Muhammad, Confucius, Aristotle, Dawkins, or any of the most brilliant philosophers and thinkers of our day, has the power to bring about eternal life. Now, there are two more crucial qualities about God's Word that I want us to think about. So we're going to look at them, what they are, and then we'll go back to thinking about how it applies to our life. So the next characteristic is that God's Word creates life that longs and is nourished by His Word. God's Word creates life that longs and is nourished by His Word. As soon as a baby is born, it innate, it's innately drawn to the place where it can find milk. So many times, you know, to start the process of feeding, the nurse will put the baby on the mom's stomach, and then very quickly the baby will just naturally like, move its nose, move its head, and find its way to the breast. The longing and desire for milk simply comes from the fact that the baby has been born. Chapter 1, verse 23 tells us, believers have been born again by God's word. And because of that, in chapter 2, verse 2, the natural outcome is that they long for it as their source of life. Those who have been born by God's word have an innate desire and longing for it. And the last characteristic is that God's word is the way to know God as he truly is. You know, that this whole passage so far has told us the hope that God's word offers us. You know, though human life withers, God's word brings a hope of lasting life. In a world that is perishing, the good news of God's salvation plan will remain forever and prevail. This passage has also given us two qualities of the new life. The first is that we love with a pure heart. The second is that you long for God's word. The last verse of our passage tells us what being born of God's word means. See, we're to long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, so that in chapter 2, verse 3, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Being born of God's word means to have tasted that he is good. The word taste means to have intimate, personal knowledge and understanding of something through experience. So I can describe to you, you know, the taste of prime-grade Wagyu beefsteak seared and seasoned to perfection. 
I've never had that. People have only told me how good it is. So hearing it, I can be like, yeah, I know what it tastes like. You know, I've read the reviews. But that's totally different than you eating the steak for yourself and saying, this is so good. To taste God means to have come to know him for yourself in a deep and personal way. And the result of getting to know him in this way is that you can say wholeheartedly, God is good. The way that you've come to know that you've truly tasted God is that you long for this pure spiritual milk. See, everything in this passage points back to how crucial it is to long for the word. No, verse 23, God's word has given us lasting life that makes us long for it. Chapter 2, verse 3, if you've truly come to know God for yourself, you should long for his word because you've tasted something that's so good, nothing else will satisfy. And these two things are one and the same. The way to know God as he truly is, is through his word. The way to taste God is in his word. Think of it like this. Uh, COVID-19 has really changed the nature of our relationships. So something that's been going on a lot more is, is Zoom dating. Okay, Zoom dating. It's been an interesting experience for most people because you don't usually Zoom somebody for a whole year and go like, all right, let's get married. <laughs> be a little strange, right? Because there are ways of getting to know a person that just can't happen, right? There's this personal connection that can't happen through Zoom, but it can only happen through a face-to-face -face meeting and getting to know that person. The only way for us to face-to-face -face meet with God in an intimate way is through His Word. That is the medium that God has ordained. That's how we encounter him personally. So long for God's word. It's the hope for lasting salvation in a perishing world. I want to ask you guys this morning, what are you longing for in life? What kind of things do you crave? Now, this season of the pandemic has been really telling and revealing our desires and longings. Now, one thing the people of Hong Kong, or one of the things that they're longing for is freedom. Freedom in the sense to have the ability to come and go from the city without restrictions, right? to finally be able to travel abroad, have that short vacation. Everything else aside, do you long for God's word in your life? I'm not asking if you read the Bible regularly or if you're attentive and listening to sermons. I'm not even asking if you enjoy reading the Bible. I'm asking if you crave God's word like a baby craves and cries for milk. Because if you do, everything else will naturally follow. Those who truly know God, who have new life from him, will long for his word above all all else. First month, Evelyn was pregnant. We had no idea. We thought she just was really sick for a whole month. But one sign that made it really clear that she had new life inside of her was when her taste in food dramatically changed. So foods that were once her favorite suddenly made her feel nauseous. 
food that she never really liked in the past, she started to suddenly crave because there was a new life inside of her that needed to be nourished. Those who have new life from God have their tastes in life completely changed. Things they once longed for, they stop desiring. Instead, they start to crave God's word. They have a new life in them that needs to be nurtured. And as that life inside of them grows, their hunger and desire for spiritual nourishment should continue to grow and grow and grow. Do you have new life from God this morning? Have you truly come to know God is good for yourself? If you, find, if you call yourself a Christian, but you find your longing for God's word lacking, then something is wrong. Perhaps you've become spiritually sick. You have let other desires distract you from your desire for God's word in your life. And if that's you, you need to repent. You need to reorient your desires to long for God's word above all once again. Because if you let this go on, the consequences for living in the wrong desires can have devastating consequences. You know, true story, a couple years ago, a teenage boy died by being so immersed in video games that he ignored his need for sleep, water, and food. Now, Jesus says man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Don't ignore your need for the word or you risk spiritual death. Perhaps you're listening to this passage being explained and you realized, no, I absolutely have zero longing for God's word in my life. It seems so boring to me. If that's you, you need to continue to persist in seeking God through his word because God's word is your only hope for salvation. Continue to read and study it for yourself. Don't give up. Persist. It has the power to give you eternal life. In the Gospel of John, chapter 6, Jesus is teaching his disciples God's word. And what he says is very difficult for many of them to accept and understand. And so many of them at that point turned their backs on Jesus and stopped following him, saying, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? But some of Jesus' disciples stayed, and they continued to follow him. And this is what they said. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Whom else shall we go to? You have the words of eternal life. We need to be like these disciples, to follow Jesus believing he has the words of eternal life. So to conclude, I want us to look at what we've just learned in light of our core value this morning. Our first core value is, is the Bible preached truthfully and obeyed. When we hear the word preach, we usually think about what a pastor does on Sunday mornings. And that's true. Part of this value is that we desire that what the Bible says is what the pastor preaches every Sunday morning, nothing more, nothing less. 
But the word preach has broader, broader implications than just what happens on Sundays. The word preach can simply mean proclaim. And in this sense, every Christian is to be a proclaimer of God's word to each other and to those around them. Why is this one of our values? Because God's word is the power that generates eternal life. Because the only way to grow up into salvation is through being nourished by God's word. Because as those with new life, we innately long and desire for God's word. And if we truly value something, it should naturally translate into how we think and what we do. Now, if you're truly convicted that the above is true, in addition to a relentless pursuit to study and learn the Bible for yourself, you should have a growing conviction to speak and share the truths of the Bible to the people around you. To those who are not believers, you're going to share truth from God's word that speaks into their life. Now, perhaps in that moment, they're not going to take it well, but you do it anyways because it has the power to bring about lasting change in life in their hearts. When fellow believers are struggling in faith in life, when they're doubting, when they're discouraged, when they're going under when they're undergoing various challenges, when they're being tempted, when they've sinned. Our conviction is to encourage and admonish them with God's word, believing that this is the way that they're going to grow in salvation and faith through these challenges. You know, in the moment when someone's really struggling, it's not going to seem like a few words are going to do much. And, and we do need to have the wisdom and how and when we speak the truth. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. There are times when we need to listen and to care for each other in those ways, but we also need to speak God's truth to one another. Don't underestimate the power of God's word. It is the hope for lasting salvation in a perishing world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you, and, and our prayer is that you would sanctify us by your word. Your word is truth. We pray that you would plant your word deep inside of us, that it would continue to bear fruit, continue to grow the life inside of us so that we can love and show your love to the world. I pray that you would renew our desire for your word. Pray that you would Help us to reorient those things that have been uh, distracting us from our longing for your word so that we could grow up into our salvation as a church body. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.